I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us from preschool to teen. This is the show where we help you feel better about the mom you are and share our own parenting tips and personal stories. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. everyone and welcome to episode 94 of the mom hour i'm sarah powers here as always with megan francis and today we are doing another listener questions with our advice so this is a follow-up yay. yay it's so fun we love this um last week episode 93 we took three listener questions and we've got three more today on a really great variety of topics so we're going to get right into it in just a moment but before that we're welcoming back mommy nearest as our sponsor mommy nearest is a mobile app that helps you find local places to go and things to do with kids in your area. They've got such great information built right into the app about what makes the places near you family friendly, whether you're looking for restaurants or kids places, activities, birthday parties, museums. Also works great when you're traveling and want to look up stuff about the place where you're going. And I love that it's got, you know, parents submitted um, feedback about yes. these places as well. It's kind of like Yelp. You yes, know, it is but, like uh, a Yelp for parents. For parents. And, and I love that you can use it when you're traveling or when you're just well, looking for stuff to do around your around your house. Yeah. So you can head to mommynearest.com to find out more or just search for them in the app store, uh, iTunes or Google Play, wherever you find your apps. And it is a free app for parents. So you no reason not to go out and grab that and start using it for your spring and summer travel and right around your own town. Yes. All so right. shall we dive in? Let's do it. So our first question comes from Avery. Hi, Megan and Sarah. My name is Avery. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. I have two children, an almost three-year-old girl and a six-month-old boy. Uh, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I can regularly be found in my car talking back to you guys and amening you. And my kids are so used to it. They don't even blink anymore. But I just love it. Um, my question is, as you transitioned... Um, um, to from one to two to three to more kids as you became more seasoned mothers what things in the beginning did you think were really important and gave a lot of thought and energy to that as you had more children decided weren't that important um, or not things you needed to give so much thought to um, and then on the flip side of that what things did you not really think about much with your first child when you were a new mom that you later decided uh, oh you know, this is really important. I'm going to give more thought and energy to this, um, but not necessarily something you would have thought of in the beginning. So I hope that makes sense. Uh, so whether they're little practical things or bigger, more meaningful life lesson type things, um, I am interested in all of it. So that's my question. Thank you so much for your podcast every week and your motherly wisdom. I'm always so encouraged and inspired by it. And I really look forward to hearing your answers. So thank you so much. All right. I'll jump into this one, Sarah, because... Um you know, obviously I have a lot of experience with adding children to my family yes. and losing sight of some of the things that I thought were really important in the beginning. So the thing that struck me as I was trying here, I was sitting here racking my brain trying to think what I did with, you know, the first baby that I thought I didn't need to do anymore with the second and third and fourth and fifth. Um, it wasn't so much that. I mean, my parenting style really didn't change too much. But what did change was how much um, energy and how much weight I gave to certain things. So like breastfeeding is an example where... 
with babies one and two, I was so intense about doing it perfectly. And like, when do I introduce a bottle? Do I introduce a bottle? Um, having like the feedings be perfectly length and, and making sure I was always switching between sides at the right time and all that. And that I really relaxed with, with three, four and five. Now, some of that's just experience, right? So you can't really tell a brand new mom who's never breastfed before, just relax. It'll work itself out. Totally. You know that that doesn't really work. But that's definitely one of those things that I just... I just kind of chilled out a little bit about doing everything so perfectly. I think if I could go back um, to even like number two, which I think is he was my peak, peak intensity, (laughs) where I was really like mothering as hard as I could. Um, I think I would have just been like, you know, it's okay if if this like on demand nursing doesn't look exactly the way the La Leche League book says it should or whatever the situation was. So that's one that pops into my head. Yeah, it's almost like that 80 20 rule is so hard or whether it's 80 20, 60 40. Like if you're doing what you want to do most of the time, I think kids are so much more flexible and resilient than we often give them credit for. And it's it's our own desire to adhere to that standard, whatever you've decided it is 100 percent of the time. So I totally hear you that it's not so much changing your mind about things that are important, but softening the importance of that importance. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Like it's important, but it's, it's a, we can sort of relax how, how we behave around that standard. Yeah. Um, I mean, every, everything matters, but we don't need to make things matter. Like the specific details matter so much. Yes, totally. Yeah. So I'm curious about the second part of Avery's questions. Now that you're, you have much older kids than I do. Are there any things that you didn't pay attention to or think were important that you've kind of realized as the kids gotten older that are, you know, again, for me, it wasn't like, um, as them, them getting older, that necessarily made it so different. But I will say when when I just had one baby, I really didn't pay very much close attention to having a routine because he was mm. an easy baby, an easy toddler, and it wasn't necessary. And so I didn't get the skills to really, um, I don't know, kind of create and enforce that rhythm around my day until I was sort of forced to it with baby number three. That right. was like, oh my goodness, you know, hands up in the air. Like I, I give, I need to have some structure around this. And so there was a lot of chaos I had to kind of get under yeah. <laughs> under wraps um, by that point where it would have been easier on me, um, yeah. maybe not even on them, but on me for sure, had I eased into it a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. I think you even, I think you wrote a blog post one time about how you being not so much a schedule person really yes. like assumed that that would be the best way for you to mother your kids and how it did take you longer to realize that um, just because that's how you are kind of naturally built doesn't mean that the structure wasn't helpful as a mom. Like yeah, you came late to that realization. Yeah, I came late to it. And then, so it was more work yeah. that way because I didn't I didn't do it really easily. Um, another sense. thing that just popped into my head is is about discipline. And I, I know you and I've talked about this a little bit um, as well. But for me, like I was so focused on my, when my babies were like toddlers and toddlers and preschoolers. Right. Like yeah. maybe like one to two and a half, three. I was so focused on what they were doing. Um and I, I was really like hyper focused on their behavior. And especially when we were at any kind of a public situation, right. that was what I would focus on. And I didn't pay as much attention to like why they were doing things. Mm. And the, you know, what I kind of have come to realize is a kid's personality, the way they react yeah. to stressors or, um, you know, social situations or whatever it is, that the, the way they react, it will manifest differently, but the why the basic personality doesn't yeah, go away. And the so triggers, I, yeah. the triggers and had I been more 
had I been less worried about what other people thought mm-hmm. or feeling like I have to squelch this behavior because if I don't get on top of it, there's so much paranoia. Like if you don't fix it now, your kid's going to become out of control. I wish that I had maybe given myself a little space to not worry so much about how they were outwardly manifesting that stuff and paid more attention to why they were doing it in the first place because that stuff never goes away and I'm still dealing with that now right. with every single kid just in yeah. totally different ways. That's that's such wise advice. On the same note, I really think one thing that I didn't give as much thought to was to me, discipline and behavioral issues was such like a hot topic around, like you said, the toddler and preschool age. And I really, you know, I read up a lot on it. It's something I find interesting and, you know, apply with my own family. But I kind of, in, my, in the back of my mind, I kind of thought like, that's a toddler and preschooler phase, the behavior, right. the outbursts and the whining. And, it, you know, we all know what that looks like. Um, the The need to support our kids through their emotional development. Obviously, it sounds so obvious now. It, it doesn't end when they turn four or five. Right. You know, I have an yeah. almost nine year old. We're entering like tween you know, phase. Um, I yes. have a very, a very tightly wound six and a half, seven year old who his whole life will need help managing his emotions and and, you know, help with all of that stuff. So I think I just was short-sighted in thinking that I'd move on to other topics from, you know, discipline and behavior and emotional support. And that is obviously an ongoing, an ongoing thing that I will continue to, well, you know, this continues to be important. It totally ties in with what I was just saying too, because, you know, you get this idea that if you just set the kids up, like if you create the foundation, you set the basis up when they're like one, two, three, yeah. that then you, it's like you just hit the button, you hit the play button and you never have to worry about it again. And that's so, they're still human beings and they will continue to be them, their own unique little human selves forever. So yep. you're so right. I mean, um, yeah, it's not like a figure it out now and you never have to think about it again right. situation. No, it's so true. And if you are in that you know, baby and a toddler like Avery is. And um, I just would echo what you said at the beginning, Megan, which is the rigidness that we tend to apply to things like schedules and feeding and sleep. Um, that just the relaxing that a little bit is so freeing for so many moms. And I yes, wish there was absolutely. a way that we could just make people believe that, but it almost seems like you have to earn your stripes. You have yep, to have you that go thing. Through it. Yes. And then just one more thing to mention is that our series called things we shouldn't have freaked out about. We have three episodes in that series, one about new babies, one about toddlers and one about kids starting school. And I'll link to them in the show notes at the But it's basically exactly this. It's things that we freaked out about. And now in hindsight think, Oh, that wasn't such a big deal. So So if you like this part of the conversation, you will definitely like those episodes and I'll link to them in the show notes. Great. All right. So next question up is from Mandy. Hi, Megan and Sarah. This is Mandy from Minnesota. I have three girls who are 10, six and two. As I've become a parent, it's really forced me to look at my own upbringing and my parents. And so I'm wondering, what about y'all? What are a couple of things that your parents have done that you are now doing for your kids and passing that along, as well as what are a couple of things that your parents or even their generation has done that you are now trying to do differently? I love and enjoy the show, and I cannot wait to hear your answers. So I'm going to jump in on this one again, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Um, so I think this is so it's, it's so fascinating to me. I love I love questions and conversations about generational behaviors, whether that's, you know, your parents, the way they did things, the way we do things that are a little bit different, the way maybe even Sarah does things a little differently from me because we're a few years apart. It's just, it's so fascinating to me. And so it's really hard for me to separate out like 
what did my parents specifically do that I liked or didn't like from what did their generations do? Yes. And I think we are all products of our generation, whether we think we are or not. Um, so like one that pops into my head or two that pop into my head, my parents started parenting in the 60s, which I was a little, they were a little on the older side from a lot of my friend's parents. Um, and so things like sitting down together and having dinner at the table every night was much more of a thing for my parents than right. it was for many of my friend's parents because they had, it was like a full decade later that they started having kids, some of them. Yeah. Um, and it was almost like a throwback at that point. And now that idea is having a little bit of a renaissance, which yeah. I think is really cool. And it's definitely informed the way I do dinners. I'm not as rigid about it as my as my mom was. It's not every single night sitting down at the dining room table, but definitely something that's important to me. Um, another thing my parents did and get, was give us a lot of personal freedom, which I know was something that started tightening up a lot in the 80s for a lot of kids by the 90s was practically disappearing. Um and now, again, it's kind of having this renaissance where there's yes. like this free range parenting thing. And um, it was something that I look back and see the relative freedom I had as a kid. And I know that it was really valuable to me and also something I can I can look back and draw on things I learned yes. about myself and independence and how to navigate your neighborhood and how to talk to people and all those things and build independence. Um, I can see the value in that now. And so when I saw things going in a different direction, when I was starting to have kids, I really yeah. kind of wanted to get that back. But it's like it, everything kind of comes and goes. There's always these like, I don't know, there's always the, the circular yeah. the cycles. You know, it's all but what, cyclical. But what I like about what you said is, you know, it's not quite possible to exactly replicate, say, your free right. range-ness. No, but right. just that it's sort of in you as a value. And that's, right. I definitely notice things in my own parenting that aren't going to look the same, but they're there because they either were there or weren't quite there in the way that I was raised. So a couple that came up for me, um, one thing that I think my parents were a little ahead of the curve on is talking to us about money and finances and helping us learn about saving and donating and investing. And I think that came in part because my dad had a kind of mid-career career change where he um, he was a dentist and he left to work for a company that helped other dentists and medical professionals with their finances. So he kind of entered this world of working with quite wealthy professionals who didn't know anything about how to manage their money. And that was when we were kids. And so I, I know that that really informed how they wanted to raise us um, and teach us about money. And I do feel like that was kind of, like they were a little bit ahead of the game there. And that's something that um, our kids are on the younger side. And so Brian and I haven't really, I wouldn't say implemented a lot of that yet. Everything from giving an allowance and teaching the kids how to save part of their allowance. And I know there's some great books and resources out there about that. But I feel like that's a priority for me in part because I, in retrospect, I realized how many of my peers did not have those kinds of open conversations about money and, and get educated about money from their parents. So that's one that I would like to replicate is the wrong word, but something that I feel grateful that you we influence. Had, you. Yeah, yeah. That, that will continue. Um, I guess one thing in terms of doing something different or thinking about something different, um, you know, I was the oldest. And so I think my mom was most protective, especially when it came to like movies, TV, video games, um, and being exposed to things that like were quote unquote inappropriate. Like the one I remember is like, remember Madonna's cone boobs? Like, oh, yes. you know, today's the equivalent cones. would be 
Lady Gaga or Beyonce, right. like especially when when it's like accessible to children, like the Super Bowl halftime show. Right. You know, yep. I'm I was at a younger age, and I just remember I think her, you know she was fearful. It felt like I don't want my kid exposed to that, and of course today there are absolutely things that I don't want my four year old exposed to. But I, where I feel like I might do things differently is be a little less about maybe censoring or judging, and maybe more about like because with my kids we we will watch things together even if they're not quite age appropriate. And then we'll just talk about it. We'll just okay, dialogue. Yeah. We might even laugh about it. Like we just, I, so I feel like that's, and that's to no fault of my mom. And I definitely, I'm sure it's because I'm the oldest. In fact, I remember yeah. giving my sister a hard time because remember when friends first came out, yes. like when it was early, early friends, I remember my mom not wanting my sister to watch because they were living together, right? It was like yep. a couple who was living together. And like by the end of like my sister's high school, they were watching it together. That was like their bonding show. And I was like, well, what yeah. happened? You know, but yeah. Yeah. to your point, you were the youngest. You were the most free range in part because your mom had learned nobody died by running around the neighborhood, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot to this yeah. that is um, birth order your too, position, I think. Yeah, yes. birth order for sure. So, well, yeah. and, and also I think that there, you know, maybe one reason our generation is probably a little more lax about that kind of thing too is because when our parents were parenting us, like there was more of a um, an illusion of control. Like yeah. you really could limit what your kids saw in the house, um, what they accessed because there weren't that many stations. It was right. like really easy to say you're allowed to watch PBS and not MTV and not yeah. any other sh- TV after eight o'clock at night. Well, those are really easy limits to set. Now it's like you're allowed to be on this platform, but not that one. Yeah. You're allowed to friend people, but then you have to like you, you have to make it private or I have to be able to friend. You. There's so many more rules yeah. and like layers now that I think some of like the content itself, I'm less worried about. It's more like how do the how do I raise kids who can navigate this stuff yes. as they get older? And yes. so the game, the rules have changed. The game yeah. has changed. Totally. So obviously the way we handle it is going to be different. Agreed. Well, that was a fun question, Mandy. It really um, was. And definitely. It's fun to look at these differences. So, okay. Well, we are already to uh, our third and final question. And that came from Alicia and she asks us about summer camp. And so we'll play her question. Then I have a, some, I have a little more info that she sent me that I'll pop in with after we listen to her question. Hi, Megan and Sarah. This is Alicia from Chicago. I was curious about when you send your kids or if you have sent your kids to a sleepaway camp. I'm considering it. I have a seven-year-old first grader, um, so he'd be going this summer when he's seven and a half. And I also have a five-year-old daughter and a three-month-old. And curious if you have ever done that. Thank you. So after she sent in that question, Alicia sent me an email with a few more details. And that is that the summer camp they're considering sending their seven-year-old to is the one she went to when she was growing up from second grade on. Um, And she worked there as a counselor. So she obviously has a lot of positive memories associated with it and knows the camp really well. Um, And that for his age group, there's a three-night or a five-night session and that they would do the three-night. So I think that's important because I did think seven. Wow, seven sounds young for sleepaway camp to me. But I think those details definitely put it in context so yeah I mean I've had my seven-year-olds have had three-day sleepovers with friends right. <laughs> before just because I just didn't end so um, definitely makes it different for me I will also say I think that this is in some cases a regional and um, city versus suburb versus small town specific kind of thing I know it's really big on the east coast for kids to go to really long summer camps it's kind of like a thing and I think for city kids there's also kind of this idea that like they need to get out of the city and go into nature and stuff so right it's really hard to answer that on some kind of like, because it is part of the culture that you're in and that influences things. Um, for me, uh, I have had kids that have gone to sleepaway camp. 
So my, I'm trying to remember now who all, my middle schoolers and high schoolers have all gone to a camp around here. Um, it's kind of like the non-specific religious camp that all religion religions feed into like okay. all the churches feed their youth to this camp it's a vaguely a vaguely it's, religious it, non-religious yes, camp exactly. i like it yeah um and it's kind of the cool thing to do what i like about it is you know a lot of kids from other schools go so around here the kids are very territorial about the school that mm. they go to it's competitive and mm-hmm. um sports it's and- kind of sports so yeah that kind of stuff it's really cool for them to go to an environment where they all are just together and yeah my son jacob has um made lasting friends that he still goes and visits at their college dorms and stuff from that were from like these competing schools in fact the funny thing is we have a school right like about 10 minutes from ours called lakeshore and we're intensely competitive with lakeshore okay and jacob accidentally wore a lakeshore t-shirt that a girl from camp gave him on his last day of high school no. i thought was hilarious <laughs> friend called me and she's like i just saw your son walking down the street in a lakeshore t-shirt and it's so dumb that that's a big thing but around here yeah it is a big thing so um i just like that that kind of like blurred those lines yeah for younger kids um my sister-in-law jenna is a camp counselor at her episcopal church camp which is like a a few hours north of here and she has taken now owen and will i think have both gone with her and that's for a week at a time clara maybe could go this year i'm not opposed she just turned eight um i think she would do okay she probably would like to in theory and then I think she'd get there and miss me but that's okay yeah. like I think if this is the age where kids start can miss their parents a little bit and yeah. and work with that and if it's that you know fuzzy warm and fuzzy kind of environment then they're going to be supported through that and I don't think that's a bad thing so I don't know I, I had this the book that the um, parent trap was based on oh I, didn't um, know and it was I can't based remember on a book yeah, but we just watched that this weekend oh, did which you? is a big coincidence so, yeah yeah that is funny so I, I remember reading that book when I was a kid and I can't remember what it's called now I'll look it up it's a, I think it was a British okay book. obviously that would make sense um but I remember having such this like romantic idea oh, of what it would be like to go to like a six week summer yeah. camp and how crazy and like different that from anything I had ever experienced yeah. as a kid that that would be. So I don't know that I think, I think it's cool. It's different. Like everyone's families are different. I think a three or five night session is pretty, it's, that seems like a pretty safe place to start. The other thing I was going to say to Alicia with regard to seven, this particular age of seven is any camp, any sleepaway camp that takes seven year olds, I feel like is probably really, experienced and well-versed and set up for handling seven-year-old things like homesickness, like bedwetting. They're not just going to throw in a bunch of 13-year-olds. Right. And so that would almost, as as young as it sounds, and it does sound on the young side to me, but knowing the background here with Alicia's family and this camp, I almost feel like that's the, almost the safest possible way to experience being away from home because they've been doing it for so long. And and if seventh graders are a regular part of their program, yeah, you're not sending a seventh grader to the 10-year-old cabin. They've right. been dealing with those homesickness and the all the things that come along with seven. I mean, some seven-year-olds don't know how to tie their shoes yet. So right. think of They're all that. Under control. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I would think that if the kid wants to go and kind of understands, yes, I understand that I am willingly <laughs> sleeping away from home for three nights. And I'm not opposed to it. Like you said with Clara, sometimes kids think they want it and then sometimes backpedal a little bit. Right. But as long as the kid is willing, I, I do feel like... a 
you know, a place that you trust, I think it could be a great experience. Um, Allegra yeah. this year, we have not done any sleepaway camps um, yet, but Allegra's almost nine, but eight and third grade this year. And her school went on an overnight field trip to one of those like outdoor science camp type places. And I found it very interesting in her third grade class, many parents opted out of the sleepover side, which I was kind of bummed about. So they let their kid go for the afternoon of science activities and they drove them back the next morning, which first of all, it was like an hour and a half away. Like it was like over an hour away, like (laughs) way up in the mountains. I'm like, well, I I wouldn't do that. That's me being lazy about driving. But, but they, they didn't feel comfortable or their kid didn't. I talked to one parent who said, I really wish my kid would go. So it wasn't just the parents. I'm not just judging the helicopter parents, but there might've been some of that. And then some kids and I felt kind of sad for the kids and for Allegra. She, there was only one other girl in her class. Um, cause fourth graders also went on this trip, but of the third graders, only one other girl from her class stayed the night and many of them opted out. So I, I wonder if as a culture, we're moving this a little later where now seven yeah. and eight year olds, that seems like way too young. I know in my community, just sleepovers with friends are seeing like a big pushback. People are doing like, they call them late overs where you go and have a movie and popcorn and get in your pajamas, but you don't actually sleep over. Um, which actually, I think that's a good thing for young kids. I mean, there's a lot, mostly just, they're so grumpy the next day after a sleepover and they, you know, but I do, I do wonder if we're kind of moving later and later when we think this is appropriate. But it sounds yeah. like in Alicia's case, it sounds like it's there's mostly positive things. Um, now, I do think it's interesting, maybe worth mentioning about the whole idea of wanting your kid to experience something you experienced, because I think that can be a little fraught sometimes. Yes, we can I think set, you're, you're yeah. right. Do you have anything, any thoughts well, on that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing, um, but you have to pay attention to what your your child's actual um, your your child's actual feelings are about it. And here's the other thing too: I think it's really important to remember that we don't always remember things accurately. So right. I might have warm and fuzzy nostalgic memories about something that when I was a kid I hated. And I think <laughs> I'm looking back now and going, "No, it was great. No, it was great. I never was worried. I never cried or whatever." And right. my parents would tell me, or my brothers or sisters would tell me a completely different story. So. I think that in, in this case, it's like if your kid is telling you they want to go, they're interested, they seem mature enough, they seem ready, you can still talk to them about the things that they might feel like. They might feel sad. They might feel yeah. lonely. Like, what can they do if, if that happens? Um, because I, I think it's easy to to just glom onto those happy thoughts, those happy memories and the nostalgia surrounding them and kind of gloss over yeah. the stuff that was Or wasn't to assume, so even if you are remembering accurately, to assume your kid's experience will be the same because the experience is the same. And I mean, right. as we all know, we're not, they're, they're we're wired not the differently. Right. Um, just to go back to Alicia's question too she said that she you know was kind of going through some of the safety scenarios in her mind this is what she said by email um and i would just say again that the i think a a camp that's set up to have seven-year-olds um is probably really really done their homework on safety and stuff so that's not necessarily i'm thinking of our um when we did episodes on free-range kids and letting kids be independent i think one of the things you and i settled on was there has to be that place where it feels slightly uncomfortable for everyone yeah. <laughs> and that's probably yeah. the best place to be now if you're yeah. pan if you are panicked if she is staying up all night panicked because her seven-year-old is away then maybe it was too soon or if the seven-year-old is a complete basket case but if everybody's slightly uncomfortable that's probably where the growing happens where he's gonna get to be independent and see that he can do it I think with Allegra's field trip that's what I kind of felt sad about is I felt like gosh what a great opportunity for these kids to practice 
going to a sleepaway camp. It was one night. It was with their school friends. Their teachers were there. And I just felt like not, not enough of them got to have that slightly uncomfortable experience. Like, what if I don't like the cafeteria food? What if, you know, what if the showers are weird? And I think when that is in that safe, uncomfortable zone, I think that's so good for kids and so good for us as parents. So if that's where it feels like for Alicia, then I say, go for it. And if it feels past that into panic mode, then maybe wait a year. Yep. Totally agree. Um, okay, well, we are going to, that's the only, the last question for today, but I did want to talk briefly about our Mother's Day challenge that we have going on. Megan, do you want to set that up for us? Yeah. So we are challenging, requesting, begging, pleading with you (laughs) to send us a letter, a note, a card, a postcard, a post-it note, whatever, um, handwritten via the the mail, the postal, the U.S. Postal Service mail. And we want to hear what you have to say to another mom, whether it is a specific mom like, hey, mom that I just saw struggling in the grocery line or kind of just moms in general, like, hey, new mom, you've got this or whatever it is. Um, Just some kind of an encouraging, supportive note, one mom to another or one mom to many. And we're going to collect those and take pictures of them and put them on our Instagram and we're going to read them on the show. And we just we really want a whole bunch like a pile. Yeah, like, I want Sarah to be able to like to like jump in them like a pile of leaves. <laughs> yes, that is an awesome. And then I we love can take a picture of that. that. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I have to admit, I went. We we announced this last week on last week's show, and I waited a few days, and I went to check our mailbox, and it was empty. But it had really only been a few days, and we know you guys are busy moms, and that it takes time to sit down and write a note. That is why we wanted to roll this out with plenty of time leading up to Mother's Day. So this show is airing the third week of March, but you have all the way up until about May first to postmark your letters, but don't wait until May 1st. But no, if you're behind we'll in your podcast out. listening and you're listening to this a few weeks later, you should still have time. Um, and yeah, we just, this idea came about because we hear from you guys all the time and we write back. And of course we talk into our microphones every week to you, but there's no real way for you guys to encourage each other. Um, and we know how smart and kind and encouraging you guys are. And just for every word of encouragement you have, there's somebody out there who needs to hear it. We all do. We all need to hear it. Absolutely. So I love the idea that it can be one specific moment that you feel like you have some, some words of encouragement for, or something more general, something you've been through, um, that somebody else is going through. You know, if you have unique experience as a mom of a special needs child or twins, or, you know, something that you feel like, yeah, I, I did that. And somebody, I wish somebody else could, you know, could feel my encouragement. So hand write it out on a card or a letter or a scrap piece of paper um to find out our mailing address go to themomhour.com look for the mother's day challenge little badge in our sidebar and that's where you'll find our mailing address and all the other details about this but we can't wait to get your letters as soon as i get one megan i will text you jubilantly and i will will be celebrating and doing a happy yes yes so our hope is and i want to give this i want to give the first person a special shout out so i can't wait get get in get on it yes we will will be doing many a happy dance so um again to find our address go to themomhour.com look for the mother's day challenge badge in our sidebar and that's where you'll find the mailing address if you have any questions on this just shoot us an email it's hello at the if we haven't explained it clearly but otherwise we cannot wait to get your mail so speaking yeah. of that we should also mention too how people can uh send us questions just like these three listeners did so um one way is to go to speakpipe.com slash the mom hour or just look for the speakpipe little doodad thingy on our website and that lets you record your question with your actual voice like they did. So we love that. 
And yeah, you can email us, hit us up on social media, any of the above. Yeah. And can't you also just email us the file directly? Yeah. And uh, several people did that. So if you know how to use the voice memo feature on your smartphone and just want to send us that audio file, that totally works too. So the simpler, the better. So cool. Awesome. Well, thanks again to Mommy Nearest for sponsoring this episode. And all the show notes will be at themomhour.com for episode 94. And we'll see you all next week. 